who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Some of you may think a podcast about representation, it's not for me. But if you're a human being, then the podcast Reppin is for you because we all represent something as people. So are you interested in knowing what you have in common with your favorite actors to best-selling authors and leaders in different genres? On Reppin, you'll meet notable people you think you know, You'll see what they show up for, and you'll see what they represent. It's an insightful, feel-good show, hosted by me, Evelyn. So come and take a listen. Reppin is available wherever you get your podcasts. We like to reach out to straight people every once in a while as community outreach. At some point, I figure we're going to run out of of queer women who want to talk to us, but yeah. it hasn't happened yet. And this is our 55th episode we're recording right now. So. I don't think you're going to, I don't That's think you're going to run out because of course the world is just made up of seven queers and a bunch of mirrors. So there's yeah. <laughs> amounts of us further iterating yeah. over and over again. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast with a gay signal so strong it will send your gaydar into a tailspin. I'm Carolyn Bergier. And I'm Sarah York. And today we're diking out with musician Aaron McKeown about sports. Uh, Aaron is a musician, writer, and producer known internationally for her prolific disregard of stylistic boundaries. I love that. Uh, she's been featured on NPR and the BBC. She's performed on TV and big festivals like Bonnaroo and also alongside musicians like Ani DeFranco and Amos Lee. And if that wasn't enough, she wrote the music and lyrics for her first original musical, Miss You Like Hell, which is co-written with Tony and Pulitzer Prize winning uh, Chiara Alegria Hudis. Uh, it played at the Public Theater this past spring, and the original cast recording is now out and available. Man, welcome, Aaron. What? Yeah. What a bio. Hey, what a bio. <laughs> what well, a treat. Only part only part of that I wrote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> the, the part that's well written. I'm sure you guys have the same experience, but it's like, you know that um, uh, you only have like a one tiny moment where you get to frame how people will think of what you're doing because there's so much of what you do that is out of your control yeah and what people think of you and how they think what you do fits into the world so you have like your bio and you have the first sentence of your bio and um anyway so there you go so one thing i i do want to mention is that when uh i when you reached out and I told Sarah that you were going to be on the podcast and uh, she looked you up and Sarah, don't hate me for sharing this. But no, go ahead. Sarah goes, oh man, she looks like lesbian catnip. Yeah. Like our listeners are going to be obsessed with your aesthetic. <laughs> That's really yeah. Good. That's really good. That's I love that. That's yeah. a totally a new one. We get yeah. a lot of lengthy emails and I think we're going to get some emails. Just saying. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, all right. Should I, should I send more pictures? Get, get ready for... Yeah. yeah. Uh, our listeners will be leaving you creepy comments oh, on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Bring it on. I hope you're okay with being lightly internet yeah, stalked. Yeah, bring it on. It's yeah. totally fine with me. I mean, basically, like, we... we 
I, you know, forgive me for putting it this way, but we both operate in a niche world. <laughs> so it's, yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. So it's yeah. really like, I mean, I, I have friends who are, um, much, much, much more famous than me. And, um, I have seen firsthand like how uncool their situation is <laughs> around that stuff. And, yeah, um, yeah. I just feel so grateful that like no one's really listening to me. <laughs> So, Eunice. so how many stalkers does Rachel Maddow have? Is that what we're well, getting yeah. at here? I mean, she's, I guess like she would be, um, yeah, she, you know, we, we were, so, it, it's a, it's a, it's a funny national moment, of course, to be like recording this podcast, right? I don't know if you guys say what yeah. day you're recording or not, but you know. Yeah, we we are recording this the day after a uh, serial predator was confirmed to the Supreme Correct. Court. So um, it, it's funny at this national moment, I've just been thinking a lot about this idea of like a civic duty. And we think like civic duty has to do with like, I don't know, running for office or um, serving in the military or something, you know, like there's these all these mm-hmm. and and now civic duty includes sharing stories of trauma, which is really, yeah, really yeah. interesting to me. And, um, and then I think of someone like Maddow, who, who is also doing a civic duty at great personal cost. Like she's not going to talk about yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not telling any tales out of school. Like, you know, um, every once in a while, uh, we will tweet at each other and, um, then immediately my Twitter mentions are unmanageable, which they're usually quite manageable. Mm. I mean, they're barely anything. And then all of a sudden they become unmanageable filled with like the most vile, crazy, I don't know what of it is bots. I don't know what of it is people. Um, yeah. you know, and there's a civic duty in that as well that, um, I've been thinking a lot about. So anyway, yeah, I'm happy with my niche, my true. niche stalking world. Please go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure you're very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Our civic duty is pretty much uh, having women realize that they're gay and leaving their husbands and boyfriends. We've been getting weekly emails and it's wonderful. So yeah, it's pretty I think great. That oh, that's, that's a great idea for a podcast. Mission. Yeah. <laughs> like you, should, you, know, you could have like a little like um, conversion corner yeah. or something <laughs> yeah. on your, <laughs> like just keep tabs every week. That's basically what it's like kind of unintentionally become actually. So <laughs> yeah, we should just have those listeners on reading their prepared statements about why they left their, the yeah. men in their lives. Somewhere there'll For be a women. support group of men who have been left by women specifically because of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean also like the men who have left their, left their straight partners to find other men, you know, I know we're yeah, exactly. out podcasts, but that happens too. Yeah, absolutely. The the great thing though I will say is that everybody well, not everybody. There there was one who was dating a, a macho type of guy, but a lot of these women, it seems like their uh ex husbands and ex boyfriends were very cool about it for the most part, but probably because if you were really queer all along, you had discerning taste in men and wouldn't have let a toxic man into your <laughs> right. life. That's like, amazing. Lesbians pick great right. husbands. Yeah, yeah. For lesbians real. are really good at picking yeah, husbands. Yeah, for real. For real. And, and just because, like, I'm, like, a queer person, like, doesn't mean, like, I wouldn't want a husband. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, to, yeah. you know, do some shit around the house for me. and Yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be it's great. really mowing the lawn. Mowing the, I don't yeah. have a lawn living in New York, but if I did, I would not want to mow it. And right. I would be glad to, uh, to outsource that, outsource that yeah. to a man. Yeah. Why not? Um, let's talk about Miss You Like Hell. So the, the cast recording came out. Um, is it heading to Broadway? Oh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. No. Um, I don't know if either of, either of you all saw it um or you know I didn't if you know, I know what it's of about. it I heard about it I I'm a huge musical theater fan actually I just don't get to go as often as I would like but it was on my radar um because my my wife is a uh, Peruvian immigrant so any stories that have to do with immigration and stuff uh definitely speak to me and well how about you tell what the story is about yeah sure um I mean, I, we worked on it for seven years, so you get good at the like one sentence 
Mm-hmm. Slash two sentence like, uh, like the summary pitch. exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, Miss you like hell is a story of a road trip that a mother and a daughter take across the country together. The mom is an undocumented Mexican American uh, in her late thirties, early forties, and her daughter is sixteen and is a citizen. And they've been estranged um, through the aftermath of a divorce. And so that's the moment we're at at the beginning of the show. Is a mom. Um, showing up in her daughter's life at a at a troubled time for her daughter and um, wanting to repair things, not sure if she can repair things. Um, and, and what it is is seven days of these two women in a very small space, in the very big space of America, um, mm-hmm. trying to see what they can put back together for themselves. And um, it becomes clear not too far into the trip that Beatriz, the mom, is undocumented and her status is very much going to affect the rest of the journey. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, awesome. it got great. I just got to say. <laughs> it's it so awesome. Yeah. It's so awesome that, that seven, seven years ago that you both thought to uh, to tell that story and bring that story to life when in, seven years ago it, I mean, it was in the national conversation, but not nearly as much. No, and- not the way, not the way now. And um, uh, it's based on a play that Kiara wrote called 26 Miles. And that play came out in 2009, but did not have a citizenship component to it. Um, the mom was Puerto Rican, therefore, of course, a citizen. And, sure. um, so so when Kiara decided she wanted to make a musical out of it, I mean, she really literally, like, she is this accomplished, like, well-known person. I mean, um, she wrote the book for In the Heights, which is, of course, yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical. And yep. um, she's written as a composer her own musicals, her undergrad degrees in music. So she's steeped in that world and a well-known playwright. And she happened to hear through, like, a friend of a friend, a record that I made in 2009. And she heard that record... Um, called Hundreds of Lions and she thought this is what this musical should sound like. I have this play. I think it should be a musical. It sound, I want it to sound like this record. So she literally just wrote me an email through the like catch-all email on my website which is mostly filled with like spam. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And like African scam emails and things like that. <laughs> and um, But she, uh, yeah, that's how we met and it was in 2011 and I had been doing my own separate activist work and curiosities around immigration reform. And, um, it, it was, uh, I don't remember, I really don't remember whose idea it was. I think Kiara wanted to introduce citizenship into the conversation. And I think that was part of why she connected with me was because I was already working on stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, in 2011, I mean, it's, you know, well known Obama wasn't great on this stuff and, um, oversaw more deportations than any president and oversaw continued militarization of the border. Um, but we are also at an even worse moment and I, it's, it's tough to have a, a musical, which is generally regarded as frivolous form in some ways. And I love musicals, so I don't say that negatively. Um, yeah. Entertainment these days, more more often than not, based on a movie or somebody's yeah. catalog of songs. And, um, and then here we step into that at this national moment that we're in with a musical. And I think that, um, to be honest, I think, great this is what musicals can do and should do oh, yeah and i yeah. think that um to some people uh that is not what musicals can and should do mm-hmm. yeah it's i mean definitely there are two well probably more than two but two types of musicals like the classic 42nd street type whatever but then you know I don't know if and I'm not a musical theater history buff or anything but I think like Rent was probably one of the earlier ones that showed that a musical can be one like contemporary and address serious problems that are impacting society and one of the beautiful things about musicals it's like music can 
affect people emotionally on different levels from like the sound to the lyrics to the performance of that. So I think they have the capacity to have so much more of an impact and really getting a story to that can, I don't know, even like change minds. um, Yeah. More so than other forms of media. Yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent agree. I've never made anything as difficult as it is to make a musical just because it's like, it's like a a five-dimensional crossword puzzle or something that you're kind of trying to wrestle with. But I think the potential of it as an art form is um, incredible, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. think it's like searching for that potential and trying to bring it to audiences that keeps us going, you know? I mean, I'm fundamentally uninterested in, I would say, like 75% of musicals. But the 25% that... I love like, oh man, do I love them, you know? Yeah. And I'm not somebody who who grew up, you know, like wanting to write musicals. Yeah. What what are a couple other musicals that you love? I love, um, I know this, this actually falls into like a little bit of a classic slash problematic area but i do love guys and dolls okay. <laughs> i do love guys ah. and dolls I, there's something about guys and dolls to me that um uh is smarter than it seems you know what i mean yeah. i know it gets done like in high schools in terrible versions a lot of it <laughs> um, yeah. i've certainly seen a lot of them but um but there's something that feels uh i haven't put my my feminist guys and dolls take together completely, but there's something in there that is interesting to me. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the music I really love, but, um, more in a bigger, um, an, an easier category would be something like hair. Like I really love yeah. hair. I mean, you think yeah. when you think of hair for what it was in its time, it's quite important. Um, yeah. Yeah. and then of course like the contemporary ones like fun home and Hamilton, of fun course. Home. Um, yeah. and also, I don't know if you all saw the band's visit, that was the recent Tony oh. winner, but, um, you know, yeah. it was really, it was really great. Um, yeah. and I think, I think also with this like vast catalog of old musicals, um, then you go and you have someone rethink them and mm-hmm. put them in different contexts and cast them differently and, um, recontextualize them. And I think you have a great deal of more potential, you know, there's just like, it's just fascinating to me and I'm interested in that. Yeah, for sure. And the, the music, I was able to listen to, um, some of it and it's great. It's awesome. It's like Mm -hmm. rock and every song feels different and it's, I don't know, like where, where do you even start with that, with coming up? Like, like how's it yeah, uh, different for yeah. you? I, because you, you play or and you create music that uh, isn't, you know, boxed into any one style. Um, so where do you begin to think, like, how, how do I want this to sound? And Well, we began with the record that, you know, that I had made that Kiara thought the thing should sound like. So that was actually yeah. super helpful. And then I would say for the first year of our collaboration, we didn't do much except send each other songs back and forth. And so we yeah. kind of built this playlist of all kinds of, maybe for every song or what we thought would be a song in a musical, we had like seven or eight songs by other mm-hmm. artists that we might, something about one song might make sense and something about another song might make sense. So we started to like build this soundtrack world, but, um, I think I think part of the reason maybe that Kiara thought of me for this project too is that none of my records sound the same. I've I've made like lots of different kinds of records just because I'm interested and kind of restless. And I actually don't think most people listen to just kind of one kind of music. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it just seems more true mm-hmm. to me. Um, but you know, I, there's a proposition that that we started with with this. Um, that's that's kind of a couple different parts but but one is that the, this is a musical about two women and there's eight other characters that they encounter along the way but it's truly a musical about two women and there are two latino women and there's not a one-to-one ratio with your ethnicity and cultural background and what you listen to right mm-hmm. like the only people that think that are people that don't know that 
actually don't have any people in their life <laughs> who are right. who are any kind of however you want any kind of um different than themselves do you know what i mean um yeah so we started out with that just just because Beatriz, the mom uh, grew up in mexico like doesn't mean she only listens to like mexican music and loves you know sure. it's certainly part of her but um I remember really distinctly just being like, gosh, she loves Alton John and Def Leppard. Like, right on. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, so yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah. that um, really, really gave us a, a place to start. And then the other thing that I was thinking as I was actually starting to put together the music is that um, I, I don't think... I don't think either of us were interested in this idea of like a melting pot America, right? Where somehow the edges and the differences are disappeared. Yeah. Right. So um, in actually composing the music, I kept that in mind in the sense of like, I'm not looking for some like um, ubiquitous world music. I'm trying to make music that contains disparate elements that you can still hear the the disparate parts of them. So you have songs yeah. on the album that might be um, a rock structure, but have like um, some sort of reggaeton uh, element in them, for example, or there's stuff that's built on um, like field hollers that also includes like a Mexican rhythm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think that that's as well as in the way the show is written and staged, like that's this proposal about America that we're trying to make and yeah. to become clear, which is that like, to be totally simple about it, like we all belong here. If you live here, you, I mean, if you live here, you're American, you belong here, you know, mm -hmm. yep. and there's a sound that goes with that. And that's what we were really trying to, to put together. And there's a feeling that goes with that. And I think that's what we were trying to do with the, the feeling in the room at the public. I think you were successful in that. Again, from from what I've heard, not having seen it, but uh, I, it made me even more upset that I missed seeing it yeah. at the public. You know what's awesome about it is that you asked if it was going to Broadway, and I rather woundedly said no. Yeah, <laughs> um, because because we never had any commercial interest um, throughout the whole process. Um, That's crazy. Which, uh, we don't even have to get into the. We, it is crazy, and we don't even have to get into the why of it. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Uh, why. You know, yeah, we whatever. Uh, um, but that's not happening. It's not happening. But what is happening is that we have um, licensed it to a, a company who um, now, if you want to do Miss You Like Hell, wherever you want to do it, you can. So there's already productions happening in Boston and Indianapolis in the first part of 2019. Oh, great! And. Um, they uh, they have this company hasn't even announced yet that they've got the rights to it, and so when they do, I think we'll see more. But our dream is for this show to happen in high schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Our dream is for this show to happen in like community theater. Yeah, our dream is um you know there's a significant element of the show that has to do with national parks, and um so we would love to see a like traveling version of this go to national parks. Yeah, and be performed outside. Like that would be a dream for me to have a musical, um that I think would be best outside mm -hmm. yeah so that's the like that's the exciting thing about it i won't say my ego wasn't wounded by um uh, making a musical is hard because people don't really know that much about it and so they're like broadway as you know and like there's a whole other world besides it For and sure and um so so that so that actually you know separate from yeah feeling a little like wounded in my ego was punctured a bit. Well, I mean, um, think of the garbage that's exciting. on Broadway. There's so much garbage on Broadway <laughs> that has been there on. There is, but you know, at the same time, like imagine this musical on Broadway. Like yeah. imagine a musical that was written by women, directed by a woman, um, with like the 10 bodies that we had in this show, which were very interesting 10 bodies. Yeah. Um, you know, black, brown, Asian, um, different sizes of people, different ages of people, like, of, you know, of what we feel like is a true reflection of our country. Like, imagine that on Broadway. Yeah. That would be fucking radical. That, that would be. That's what they need more of. Yeah. And um, the the musicals I do make it out to see, even like the revival of like On This Island, I'm like, it's so nice that there's space being made for this and for these kind of casts and uh, these stories. And But then at the same time, it's like, the the cats revival no one asked for yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I know well, what's coming Pretty Woman Tootsie oh yeah you know like those are on the way and um, 
you know, and it's like I it's that's not to slag the artists that are making sure those shows. Sure. There's but, there's room um, for that too. There is room for that too, but it is uh yeah, I yeah, I I I alternate between the feeling of like I'm taking my toys out of the sandbox and never <laughs> getting in it again. Yeah. Or the feeling of like, no, no, we are going to take this to people. Yeah. And we're going to take this to um anyone who wants to do it and like democratize this this property so that um more people can do it i'll I'll tell you one more story and then we can talk sports if you want yes um but the musical so our musical starred daphne rubin vega as betriz and she was with us from the beginning and she's the person that we always knew was going to play betriz and and should and she is um a a legend for your listeners who don't know it who created the role of mimi in rent and um tony nominated for that and then she um originated a role um, in Nilo Cruz's Anna in the Tropics uh, play. Tony nominated for that. Um, she continues to be like one of the most amazing artists I've ever had the chance to work with. And here she is starring in our musical at the public. And afterwards in the lobby, we had lots of student groups come. And um, we we really like the public did a great job of getting lots of students in and getting like, they have a pretty great and diverse crowd anyway. Yeah. Um, but they did a great job of even going to the next level for us, which we really appreciated. But I remember one night in the lobby, there was a group of students who were standing around Daphne, like speechless because of, because they had just seen her do this amazing performance. I don't think they even know what Rent is. Yeah. They had just seen Daphne, they're, you know, 16 to 17 years old and they're standing around her in a circle and she both truthfully and in this gracious way that she does to help people feel at ease. She was like, you guys are the next cast of Miss You Like Hell. And you could see like these kids be like, right. They felt so empowered by that. And you could see them sort of like shake off that like celebrity distance between them and Daphne and, and relate as fellow artists. And it was beautiful for me to witness because I was like, man, yeah, the next person to play Betriz is like a 17-year-old Latina in like Seattle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how fucking cool is that? Yeah. Like I feel like I feel like that is um uh, you know, a civic duty. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so, so cool. Yeah. All right. Now sports. Sports, <laughs> sports, sports. <laughs> Yay. Something I know about. <laughs> well, it was so funny because I, I was like, I was looking through your other episodes and looking at the other topics and I didn't see sports. And, um, you know, like queer folks have feelings. Yeah. About sports. Absolutely. A lot of different kinds of feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are your feelings about sports? <laughs> did you play, like, what did, did you participate in like high school or like, what was your, what, I'm going to guess soccer. For you. Oh, yeah. No, uh, yeah, guess. Okay, I'm just going to tell you I love sports and I played them since I was a kid. Now try to guess the sports. I'm thinking soccer and uh, I think basketball, but I don't know how tall you are. Okay. Not tall at all. So perhaps you were a guard. But that guard. doesn't mean I would. No, the, some of yeah, the best, no, the best mean, ones yeah. I went to high school with were like five foot two. I mean, guards. My first guess is always softball, but for you, <laughs> I was going to say field hockey. Oh wow! Okay, well, are we one all of you is right? One of us is. <laughs> it ha- I, I feel in my soul that it's soccer. All right, so I grew up in a really small town in Virginia. Okay, um, which I, which you know, I think influences like what sports you play. Mm-hmm, sure. And I also um, went to high school in the early nineties, um, so there was no soccer. Oh, there was no man. women's soccer. All right. There was no. Um, lacrosse unless I went to a public school that's the other important piece of information so there there was um I basically played um you know my town was like uh, certainly segregated in some ways mm-hmm. class-wise and race-wise so I played middle class to upper middle class white girl sports <laughs> so I um and I regret this I look back on it and wish that um so in my town, that meant I played tennis from when I was really small. Oh, yeah. And, um, and then I played field hockey. Field wow. hockey. In high school. Yeah, I played five years of field hockey. This is a gift. And, uh, yeah. I can, I can it's guess. It's a superpower. I can guess <laughs> what queer women, what sports they played. Yeah, you might have a gift. I also swam. I swam on the swim team. Oh, and, um, I can see that. Right? Yeah. I swam on the swim team. Uh, 
like a community swim team. My high school wasn't big enough to have a swim team. Yeah. And, um, and I also, what did I do? Swimming, hockey, tennis. Um, and I was on a traveling gymnastics team. Wow. From when I was about six to when I was 11. And, um, because of course I'm the generation that saw Mary Lou Retton. Yeah. And, um, that is, I think the nascent beginning of my queerness also. She's one of your like, roots. I think I, yeah. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. I mean, that, well, that would be the 1980. Was it the 88 Olympics or? No, it's either 80 or 84. Okay. I'm trying to think of how old I would have been. I think 84 probably. And um, I just was so into that leotard that looked like the American flag. Yes. yes. <laughs> this is like, you know, the definition of like queer moment, right? You see yourself in them and you also don't know why you're attracted to them. Right. And um, right. You know, going exactly. back to musicals for yeah. a second, there's a fantastic song in Fun Home that I think you all probably know called Ring of Keys um, that speaks to this same yes yeah i'm drawn to this person i don't know why it's some combination of i want to be them and a a a nascent quite innocent sexuality that's also happening right that was me watching mary martin and peter pan as a young oh, yeah. child. she should get a gold star for her work for the queer community <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's why i was able to come out in my teens and was so confident about it because mary martin at a very young age her and uh for some reason maria on sesame street <laughs> Very, for some reason, yeah. let me recommend um, an episode of there's a podcast called Death, Sex, and Money that's really great uh, from WNYC. And there's an episode with Maria now, and it's really good. She is like the fucking bomb, right? That's great. Oh, that's good to know. I haven't really like investigated like wh- yeah. where she is now and what she's been up to, but boy, was I drawn to her (laughs) yeah um i was drawn to an athlete when i was like 10 and 11 and 12 uh rebecca lobo when she played for uconn yes oh my god who is like straight as hell but like i had a definite like 50 50 split between wanting to be her and wanting to have her as my girlfriend and i just like i remember like in hindsight that's what i was feeling at the time i wasn't really sure why but i was just a very big fan of Connecticut basketball for that period of time. I mean, I think like part of like my queer attractions are to um, excellence. Do you know what I mean? Like that turns me on in this way that, um, you know, so like where do we see women excelling? And so like entertainment industry for sure. And sports, you know, they could always be given more visibility, but that is one of the few places where, you know, in 1984, um, you know, like a, a, a woman was paid attention to and thought of as you know, excellence, um, mm-hmm, yeah. undeniable performance of excellence. Um, I also got really into, um, an, an, uh, a few Olympics later, I was really into the swimmer, Summer Sanders. Um, I don't know if anyone yes. will remember her. Oh my God. Absolutely. I remember yeah. her. I wrote her a yeah. letter. I wrote her a letter oh and she wrote God. back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. I also don't know if you would remember, this would be the Winter Olympics, but there was a, a speed skater named Dan Jansen. And um, he, like three Olympics in a row fell. Like each Olympics, he would be like uh, a favorite and he would go uh-huh, to his like yeah. speed skating event and he then he would fall. And it would just be so terrifically tragic um, that you work yeah. all these years, especially you're a speed skater, right? You know, you have no support and no one pays attention to you except for every right. four years. And, um, and he kept falling. And I wrote him a letter um, just being <laughs> like, Dan Jansen, keep going. And I got a letter back. Yeah. Both, both Summer Sanders and Dan Jansen wrote me back. Um, like a postcard that they actually signed, which was just treasured by my young, like sports self. Yeah. That's that is awesome. A, what a good lesson for our listeners. If you are a fan of, uh, an Olympic athlete, they have time on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah especially in those sports that are like the sports you know. that literally no one's heard of until the Olympics and then they're celebrities for two weeks and then it's over. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we'll then they, what, we'll look at what's happening with um, Adam Rippon right now, for example. You yeah, know? I mean, he I mean he's like parlaying it into a career. Yeah, beautiful Olympics, and he's um, deservedly like parlayed it into like a, a fantastic. Um, I don't know what he's what you would call what he's doing right now. He's sort of like I think hosting. is he like a commentator or like a like a broadcaster? A I guess yeah. would be kind of what he's doing now. Yeah, but yeah, he's amazing. 
Um, I ran into Gus Kenworthy in the West Village. Uh, I believe he's a downhill skier. Or yes. no, what's his? He's, yeah, he's uh, a skier. Yeah, he's a, some kind of skier, but maybe he's um, one of those like uh, X Games type skiers that yeah. now there's an event in the Olympics for him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, they like invented the new sport for him. Uh, and he's lovely, and I just love his friendship on Twitter with Adam Ripon. I like, love kind of his Instagram. Yeah, I'm, I follow yeah, Gus yeah. Kenworthy's dog on Instagram. I know so, that's sad. It's funny yeah. because like like sports let me be a fan in the way that music doesn't. That's I mean that's why I like sports. Is this is like yeah. completely divorced from the thing that I mean? Obviously, I care about music, and it comes from an important place deep inside of me. But it's also my job, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. Sports are not my job. I'm I'm like a very very active athlete, but like not professional and not good. Yeah. So so the other (laughs) the other part that you got right is that I do play softball now. Um, Oh great! Wow. Yeah. You really nailed it, Carolyn. Yeah. When I was, um, I yeah when I was in high school, I deeply regret my own um, prejudices. Um, and I didn't think of them that way at that time, but it just, um, social connections where, um, like I said, like I played the white upper middle class to upper class like sports and I love mm-hmm. basketball and I love softball. And, um, it's the same thing that kept me out of like show choir and chorus. It's because yeah. like, it's not the things that my friends did. And I wish that I had been able to like see those divisions and cross them. Uh, but I yeah. wasn't able to do that. Um, but anyway, so about 10 years ago, I started playing, um, of course, I live in Western Mass, so there is a women's separatist softball league uh, here that's been here since <laughs> 1975. And um, there's a uh, 10 teams in it, and you play every team twice. So you play 18 games over the summer. And um, I've been playing for like 10 years, and I you know, never played growing up, and I'm terrible at it. But it's really great to be on a team. I love being on a team. Yeah. And I think our team yeah. is like... Yeah. I would say that our team is um, maybe half queer people, half straight people, and yeah. um, it's really awesome. And the league also has like a, a hard, a hard one, but amazing trans policy. And so we have oh, folks like that in our league as well. And um, that's a longer story, maybe for another podcast. How as a league we arrived at that, but it was a pretty amazing mm-hmm. process. Um, but it makes it makes me really happy to play in a in a space that has both the history of women yeah. women's world and also the current um like beautiful inclusiveness of our current queer world mm-hmm. okay who's ready for a true story when i entered my mfa program this fall i knew i was going to have so little time for cooking so i wanted a solution That would let me have tasty, healthy meals in a flash so that after class, I could still have time and energy to be gay. So I signed up for Factor, which ships you ready-to-eat meals that are chef-created and dietitian approved They're fresh, never frozen, so all you have to do is stick them in the microwave for two minutes, and then they're nice and done. Um, The weekly menu has over 35 options. The salmon entrees are always my personal favorite, but they have um, a lot of things you can choose from, options for different dietary needs like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. They also have add-ons for when you don't need an entire meal. Um, I tried some good cookies and some jerky. Uh, No prep, no mess. And when I looked into it financially, which was one of my main concerns, it was actually less expensive than uh, takeout and honestly really close to the cost of buying ingredients at the grocery store down my block in New York City. Uh, And then I saved a lot of time. So to me, it was definitely worth it. Did I mention that the meals are also really delicious? Like I've yet to try one that I didn't like. So if that sounds good to you, I think you should give it a try too. Head to factormeals.com slash dykingout50 and use code dykingout50 to get 50% off. That's code dykingout50 at factormeals.com slash dykingout50 to get 50% off. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. I, I think that is important to bring up. I know my ex-wife was playing on a in a lesbian softball league or a, a softball league that was specifically for queer women and uh, one of her team members uh, was transitioning during it and uh, luckily I mean as far as I know because we also got divorced while she was playing so I never got too close to the team uh but everybody seemed to be very supportive of of him and keeping him in the league because if that's where he wanted to be you know then that's that's great yeah where they're gonna accept him and but you know that's not always like a a cut and dry Mm -hmm. it's not a given you know no and i think it's like um i think i think uh it has to be what a community wants i don't think yep i think that was what was um i guess i'll try to tell the short the short version is that um there have always been trans folks playing in our league like yep same as in all these all these quote unquote women spaces, um, there have always been trans people in those Mm -hmm. spaces. And, um, some, you know, a few incidents started happening about four or five years ago in our league, um, that real, that made everyone realize that there needs, we need to address it. And so, um, the uh, two people that have long ties to the league are both law professors who specialize in gender and sports. Right. And so they, um, ran a process for us basically where they they made two proposals as a starting point right so the proposals were positives not negatives so the proposals were if you um feel like uh, a women's softball community a women's softball community that phrase is a place where you feel welcome and you feel it's your community then you are welcome to be there and then the, the second phrase was um uh like basically like we don't ask someone's gender that's it mm-hmm. like we just don't ask yeah. it's like so so those two proposals were made and then it was opened up for everyone in the league to to talk about amongst their teams and then um to think about were those things we wanted to adopt and then they hired a facilitator who had who um is someone who had a long history with softball and with queer issues a really experienced awesome woman that had been um, at UMass for a long time. And she ran uh, an afternoon like session that was like three hours that was facilitated in the true sense of the word where everyone in the community could come and talk about it and consensus was eventually reached through that conversation. And those two statements passed. And the whole Mm -hmm. thing was like community generated process. People had a chance to be heard. And um, it feels like I, I feel sad for other institutions that that haven't been able to have a process like that and have lost something yeah. because of it yeah sports you cool. see sports is full of all sports. these beautiful things right it is it is um you know you were mentioning that that you like being part of a team and when when i was growing up for a while i played softball and i I wasn't great. I was good enough to make the team, but I was definitely afraid of the ball. And I kind of liked being benched because then I got all the benefits <laughs> of being on the team. Right. So I would, I would, you know, work my butt off. And, and I was, 
like I was all right. All right. So yeah. I, I, I'd make the team and then I was so afraid of the ball and I would just sit there like, please bench me. And I would also position myself as like, oh, I play whatever position the best person on the team does so that I was right. always second string. <laughs> yeah, that's right. smart. I was very strategic about getting benched. she doesn't get injured. <laughs> I know, yeah. I was like, I will be Kim's backup at third base, and there's no way they're pulling Kim off third base. Right. Yeah, that's a really, that's a hard position. Third base is really hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny. So they, they weren't going to put me there. Yeah. Uh, but... I was also not that good at any sport I ever played. Like I'm six feet tall and I've been my, I've been this height since I was 12. So I was always just put on the basketball. I wouldn't say I played basketball so much as I was in the room when basketball was being played. <laughs> yeah. and I wore the same uniform as other people yeah, you, on the team. You dressed up like the basketball I, team. I cosplayed as a basketball player <laughs> and That's tricked great. them into putting me on the court. Yeah. And then literally my only instruction was to stand there and hold my arms up and just not foul out, which I would always do by like the third quarter. Like that was the, that was the extent of my basketball career. But every single year I would make the team and they would put me, they would start me because I was so freakishly tall. Yeah. But that was it. It was just like pure, but I, I mean, I, I liked being on the team. I just really immensely disliked practice and games. So, <laughs> it didn't, um, but then, like, I joined the track team in high school because, well, in middle school, actually, and I was, uh, not surprisingly, a shot put and discus thrower, and that was my event, because I was like, what That's event what my could first I do girlfriend did too. that, like, maximize fun and minimize running, and that was, that was the one. I'm just going to hurl this giant <laughs> yeah. ball. I'm going to hurl a giant ball. I mean, ball. there's sports for, yeah, there's there's a for, sport everyone. for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> there's a sport for everyone. I live in a really, a really small town and we just had our like fall festival and, um, we are the only, many of the towns around here have like fall festival and they kind of softly compete with each other for like, who's got the best fall festival. Um, and ours is the only one that has a skillet toss. This oh, sounds, and, um, this sounds like out of Parks and Rec. I don't know if you yeah, watch that exactly. show. Exactly. No, it's totally like, so they like mark out, they mark out a thing on the, uh, you know, on the field in the middle of town and uh, they have like a, a bullhorn that calls it and everyone signs up and they have, you know, a couple skillets that they use every year and everybody in town signs up for skillet toss. And then we all, you know, town arrives and we all sit and watch people like skillet toss. You literally um, to- like you throw a skillet? Like You throw what? a skillet. Yeah, and All right. you're, you're judged on distance. <laughs> you're judged on distance and accuracy. So it's like a like a long thin field divided in the center with like a white line. So your goal is to throw it far and have it land on the middle white line. Oh, okay. And then it's like it's basically like um some type of track like would also be scored this way. Yeah. Right. I I don't know track well enough to know. Maybe. Well, that I would kind know. of be like the discus throw. I mean, because it's mm-hmm. you're, but yeah, I mean you have to keep it in like a V shaped what is known as the vector. Uh, but Correct. yeah, it's, it's literally just whoever throws the damn thing the, the farthest. That's, that's who wins. I mean, that's basically it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like sports in a nutshell, like whoever does it the fastest or whoever does it the farthest. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's, it's really like one of my favorite activities of the year. Yeah. That sounds amazing. It's really fun to watch. I mean, like, 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 um, I, I like sports cause it's like, um, the best movie or the best play. I mean, I like sports better than I like any movie or play. Yeah. Um, cause it's like the personalities are amazing. Yeah. Um, the backstories, I'm so into athlete backstories. I love, it's annoying to watch like a baseball game with me because I'll be like, this guy grew up in this place and his sister did this. <laughs> and when he went to college, like blah, blah, blah. And did like you a little Wikipedia. Wife... <laughs> yeah, totally. Because I'm, cons- I'm, I'm really interested in like where people come from and like, how do they bring all that to their like one moment of trying to hit a ball? Yeah. And then you can't, you can't know what's going to happen when they hit the ball. There's no way you can, you can use numbers and you can guess, but like all the time, those predictions are, wrong right and um and tell me a movie where like you really truly didn't know what was going to happen next you that's, know what that's I mean? a good way tell of looking a, at it tell yeah. me a play that you went to see where you really truly did not know what was going to happen next yeah. you might be you might have like one of three tropes sure you know and yeah and but like like i, I did so not that, know that bruce willis was dead the whole time in the sixth sense but, see, didn't see. I didn't wait, see that what? movie. I didn't. But. Oh, yeah. Well, I just ruined it for you. So. 
No, that's all right. I'll never see it. There's no point. But, yeah, there's know, no point you know, in like seeing it You know, like that moment in A Beautiful Mind where like you realize that Russell Crowe is actually suffering from mental illness. And, yeah. Like, yeah. What you've yeah. been seeing isn't real. Like I yeah. can remember that as like a moment in a movie yeah. where I was truly like, I tr- was truly snookered. Like, yeah. I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. But but to me, those are few and far between in, in movies and sports. Snooker, um, another sport I would like to mention. Is that <laughs> a sport? Yes. It's my new favorite sport. Uh, did you that, see the play about it? I did not. I just, uh, I went to a wedding in the English countryside uh, about a month ago and they taught me to play it and I won and I enjoyed it so much and it is really fun right. to, to snooker somebody and... That sounds great. Yeah, it's it's like pool, but more balls and more strategy. Oh, okay. It's the only time in life where more balls is better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a Broadway play up right now called The Nap, which is um, about snooker. Oh my gosh. Well, now I need to round up the people from the wedding yeah. who live in New York. We're all going to go see it together because we are... Yeah, I learned about a new sport now. when I went to Ireland about a year ago. It's called hurling. Oh, yes. And it's a cross between field hockey and murder, I think. It's like... Plus, la- plus la- lacrosse. Yeah, plus lacrosse. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is. It looks a little... It looks pretty intense and pretty violent, but I happened to be in Ireland while they were doing, like, the the big the big game, like, yeah. the most important... Like, the, their Super Bowl. The Hurling Cup. Yeah, the Hurling I Cup. I don't know. But, like... But I was in Galway when Galway won it, and it was, like... I've never seen an entire city like go up for a sporting event like that. And I thought that was so cool because it was just like everybody, like children up to like old people were just losing their minds over this thing. And I think that's yeah. a good, I think that's, to me, that's the really charming part of sports is watching it unite people in just sheer excitement. Well, I will say I did live in Boston when the Red Sox finally won the World Series after all those years. And it was horrifying well it yeah was, it's a drunken riot well <laughs> people died and it was not good yeah uh, yeah but also kind of cool I know, it's, a, it's a fine line it's a fine line that's it was for a fine sure. line I mean, yeah i mean the well the problem was the cops that shot rubber bullets in people's faces right and then that's where things went wrong there right uh, but it but it was cool to be a part of that to be in boston uh and yeah see that energy and that excitement and how many people and all, all these people who didn't even care about baseball getting swept up in it. I mean, I know that's how I felt because I had grown up in Buffalo, which has um, no major league team, only a minor league team. So I didn't care much about baseball until I went to Boston and I was like, Oh my God, this is the most exciting thing yeah. I could imagine right now. <laughs> yeah. It makes me talk to people I wouldn't usually talk to, yes. you know, yeah. and like, Bringing it back to like our national moment, like I'm not trying to solve this national moment. I'm still. You can try. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But but there's something about sports that um, uh, I I always think about this part of sports when I think about traveling, um, Mm -hmm. because for so many years I've done so much traveling, and I I am like the kind of person that like um, I remember there was this one Wimbledon match sometime in the last like five years that was like a, a seven hour match and. I had like three flights that day or something. And like each time I would land, I would find the TV to see what was going on and talk to somebody about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, same thing with like, I've been flying during the Super Bowl before or, or through like some like mostly football, but like big championships or something. And, um, I don't drink, but I love a sports bar. So like, I'll go sit at the sports bar and talk to someone who, if I talked to them about the Kavanaugh hearings, I'd be terrified. Yeah. Right. Do you know what I mean? And there is something, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm being a Pollyanna about it or not. I, like I said, I can't decide about this current national moment. Um, but there's something that's helpful to me to at least be able to sit next to someone that I probably, yeah, like I'm probably horrified by yeah. in many other aspects and be able to have this conversation. Um, you know, I remember like one time being at a Cubs game um, and sitting next to this guy and starting to have a conversation. We just had this like great, great conversation about one of the players. And this guy used to be a, a ball player. We we're having this great, great conversation. And then at the then at the end of the conversation, I was like, so what do you do? And then his answer was, I'm in oil and gas. And I was like, oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to have a different now we're going to have a different conversation. But, yeah. Um, yeah. 
You know, but we had built a, uh, a foundation through shared love of the Cubs third baseman. <laughs> and you have that, yeah. you know? Yeah, they've. Always, I feel like sports are kind of, uh, especially for like a queer person, at least in, in my case, like it's kind of the one thing that I can like talk to my dad about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That like isn't yeah. a sensitive issue. It's like sort of a safe space, I guess, conversation wise that I've always kind of appreciated having. Yeah. Because it might be the only thing we can talk about these days. Except my dad watched golf and there was no way I was going to talk to him about that. But every four years <laughs> I can talk to my father about the World Cup. And that's... Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually like a new fan of like soccer because again, I didn't play it growing up and we didn't really have it. But um, I've yeah. been really enjoying and especially like it's so great because our women's team is, you know, the yeah. best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also like just want to make sure to acknowledge that like there are a lot of queer people that are just like super traumatized by sports. Yeah. Like I'm such an evangelist. It's such a positive part of my life. It has always been a positive part of my life. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll meet another queer person and just really start raving about sports. And then they're like, "Mm, not for me. And, you know, there might be like a whole history of, I mean, this is simplifying it, of course, but like bullying or exclusion or like, you know, and um, so I just like, I just want to acknowledge that like, you know, for some people, that's just, that is just like their experience. And, and I, I wish it weren't that way, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the relationship that you have with, with sports and, um, especially like it, it changes over time. So when you're in high school, uh, at least this is going to be how it is in, in yeah. my world. In, in high school, you are uh, on a team if you're if you're queer, or you know you're queer or whatever, and you're like, I hope nobody finds out that that I'm a lesbian on this team. I don't want people feeling uncomfortable. I don't want it to be an issue. I'm just going to be, you know, sitting here thinking about Jillian Anderson on the bench <laughs> of this softball game. And... <laughs> and then you go to college. I didn't play college sports, but I had a lot of friends who did. And then all of a sudden you're playing like rugby and everybody's a lesbian or my friend uh, who is straight. She played softball for Dartmouth's team and she's like, the team is so gay. I've even questioned my sexuality like, yeah. I, because I'm like, why am I on this team? Because literally every other woman is gay am I gay? I don't right. think I'm gay, but I'm a, there's, there's just like so much queer energy in college sports. And then it starts to be like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, we're all, we're all out. We're all queer. Yay. Yeah. That's kind of magical. And then, and then you grow out of that. And then if you like are fortunate to live in a place that has it, they have like lesbian basketball leagues, lesbian, like ne- it just like gets more and more queer. So maybe for the people in high school who were Mm-hmm. feeling like not welcome into those kind of environments. Like the one thing is as you get older, uh, I think there are more clearly queer spaces um, for you. Mm-hmm. And also uh, you're not expected to perform as high. Yeah. If you're talking about intramural sports right. league. And you also get to wear like fun shit. Right? Yeah, so, like, yeah. I'm totally into this like trend of like, I mean, Queer to me is, um, you know, uh, sexuality, but also a process. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but I like it when I feel like there's a trend now, especially among the millennials of like queering sports. And so you have like kickball leagues or like everyone's dressed as a unicorn. Right. Or narwhal <laughs> or something, you know. And, um, and, I, and I hope that, yeah, I hope that that just makes sports like more available to more people yeah yeah that's great well we have to wind down the the conversation but uh Aaron thank you so much this has been great for this conversation this has been so much fun we loved learning more about uh miss you like hell and hope people uh check it out because the album is now uh available and keep an eye out in case it does come to your city. Aaron, where can people follow you and your, your music? I mean, we didn't even get to talk too much about your music, but you have so much for people to dive into. Sports with like two queers. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a good day for me. Um, (laughs) You can follow me at my website. It's probably the best place to start. Um, Aaron 
I like Instagram and I like Twitter. I could give a shit about Facebook. So you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, yeah. And, um, and there's a good place places too to keep up with miss you like hell because I've, I've i've definitely like put a little section of my website about the show and right. keep it listed among my tour dates even though just to be clear like i'm not in it yes um <laughs> and, you know and, um but uh, you can find where it's playing and you also find the information for how how you might want to put it on in your community that information is also there that's great well thank you so much for for diking out with us oh my god we diked out so hard yeah <laughs> All right, it's time to end the episode with a listener question who has ignored our requests for more succinct language (laughs) in the questions. But it's fine because it's important for our listeners' voices to be heard Mm -hmm. uh, no matter how how long the emails are. Yeah, if you want to wax poetically, (laughs) go for it. Um, All right, this question. I need to I need to drink like Brett Kavanaugh amounts of water <laughs> to get through this. Pre- this is a prepared statement. It's not a question. Yeah. Uh, I am now happily married to my wife, who is quite a bit older than me. I'm mid twenties, and she's mid thirties. That's not quite a bit. Right. Let's take it easy with the older thing. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> that's not like a what is that a May December romance? Yeah. That doesn't qualify. This isn't like a Holland Taylor Sarah Paulson situation. Yeah, yeah, you're not Paulsoning. By, by any means. Anyway, from day one, my friends welcomed her with open arms and judgment-free. A lot of my friends are in or have been in relationships with age gaps. Age has never come up in conversation with my friends, and never has she been shamed for being older. Good. I would hope not. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, from day one, <laughs> I have been put down for being younger by her friends, even if it's meant to be playful and funny. This never affected our relationship, but has started to wear me down. Oh, this is a a turn I wasn't expecting it to take. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, In in a lot of situations, when we make friends together, uh, which we have to do because we move a lot because she's in the army, uh, they are mostly older than both of us, think 40s and even 50s, and I get a lot of comments like, I could be your mother. (laughs) Oh, God. Or the ridiculous one, I could be your grandmother. Like, yeah, if we were both 11 when we gave birth. Uh, I've even had people completely end conversations when they put the math together and realize I'm younger. All of these times, we all hit it off wonderfully until they find out my, or find out I am in my 20s. I guess I look older. No, you're just mature. You're like a a fine wine. Yeah. Uh, We have tried to gear our friends, uh, our friend search to the 28 to 33-ish range. Holy shit. (laughs) But it's hard to exclude people when you're looking for new friends and don't want to seem uh, like the judgy ones. My wife and I have talked about this reverse ageism a lot and never have I been put down by her. It does not even feel like there's a gap between my wife and I to us. Is there a polite way to respond to people who feel the need to dwell on the age thing? Yes, tell them to mind their fucking business. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think there's necessarily a... I don't think you necessarily need to return that with politeness. You know, like if someone, if they're being, it sounds like the word we're going for here is that they're being condescending about your age. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, that is not cool. Did she, I'm, I'm sorry. Did she say how exactly old she was? I mean, she said she's mid twenties okay, and her so, wife is mid thirties, okay. which is not a big, <sighs> that's not that big of a age gap at all. Yeah. If also, your wife was in like her early fifties, I could see why people might be like, or, you know, maybe mid to late 40s, but let's just say you guys have a 10-year age difference, which is not insignificant, of course, but it's also no one else's business, really, if, you know, because it's obviously, your relationship is obviously good. Like, yeah. like you, should, you should be concerned about your own relationship and not so much what other people think, even if they're just sort of saying it in, like, a joking way. Yeah. But it sounds like, it sounds like there is a bit of condescension in maybe the way that they're Treating you. I also do want to clarify that even if she was in her mid forties, that wouldn't be yeah. a problem either. And that no, this, this still isn't right for people to dismiss you that way. So maybe you let them know, uh, be like, "Oh, I might be young, but uh, you're gonna die first. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> way to. Or like, I feel like check them. No, in, I'm a, in a situation I'm like that, it's if you just, I, th- I think that. 
by like drilling down a little bit, that usually shuts people up and kind of like if they said something kind of condescending about your age, ask them what they mean by that. Yeah. What do you mean by that? You know, like, and then all of a sudden, then they're, because they aren't expecting it to go that way. They think it's going to be sort of a one-sided thing and they're not really expecting to have to explain the condescending comments. So that that would probably shut it down. It's not going to be, it's going to be awkward, but it maybe needs to be said, especially if you're uncomfortable. Also, you should, your wife should be probably standing up for you in, in some way as well. If these are, if these are like her friends kind of talking to you like that, then I think that that's probably a conversation that should be between you two. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know that you need to really limit the scope of the age range of potential friends. No, I think that might be going I too far. I have friends but. at all ages mm-hmm. and you should hopefully be able to find people that are way more chill about it. Yeah. And if they're making comments about how young you are, it's more a reflection of their them being uncomfortable about mm-hmm. maybe how old they are, that you yeah. being young makes them feel old so they as a defense mechanism maybe make a comment but what Sarah said and I agree with is one of my favorite ways to get people to kind of come to their own realization that they're being rude is by asking questions Mm -hmm. and turning it back on them yeah 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 Yeah, I think that's I think I think that's the way to go Um, especially if it's if it's people that you hang out with a lot like if, if this is someone that you're probably never going to hang out with again if it's like a weird kind of one-off thing then maybe don't worry about it but like it might not be worth engaging yeah but if it's if these are people that are like solidly in your friend circle that you're going to be around more than one you know more often then probably having that one awkward exchange yeah might be better for the long term but your wife should definitely be on your side for this and like vocally so yes. if necessary so yeah, you're doing fine. Yeah. And it sounds like you and your wife are a cool couple. Yeah. So good for you. And people would be lucky to be friends with you too. Yeah. We'll be friends with you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that's our time for today. You can follow us on all the social medias at Diking Out. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at TGI Carolyn. And same for Instagram. And you can follow Sarah only on Twitter. Only on Twitter at the Sarah York. Because she is the the Sarah York, who uses the only social media platform that works for me, which is Twitter, which is where I live, which is hell. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. If you if you want to escape hell for an hour plus, join us again next week for some more diking out and we will uh, see you then. See you then. All right. bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot-button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminists wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye. Bye.